0: Good to see everybody today. It's, uh, oh, it's nice outside, isn't it? It's, uh, I think it's really that first really, it's just, it's just perfect. You know, you spring forward and it feels like spring outside. Wouldn't you agree? That's just kind of a, kind of a neat thing. And, uh, we've just been waiting for some warmer weather, some, some nice things. Yesterday I was able to get out on my, uh, uh, bicycle for the first time really outside with uh, friend Kirby and another guy Jeff and uh, we we'll just got out on the countryside and just saw some beautiful sights. It was really wonderful. I know some of you're saying you don't look like you do much cycling, but my, my, uh, you know what I would say is just imagine what I look like if I didn't. So there we go. <laughs> it, be, but uh, we had a great time and I tell you as we got rolling and uh, just got out there way out there, it's kind of like taking that Sunday afternoon drive where you just go out there and you just see the sights. It's it's very peaceful. It's it's just a wonderful thing. It was Great. Uh, two days ago, I went to pick up my son uh, from college. He's home for spring break and, uh, you know, it snowed a couple, you know, just to, you know, earlier in the week. And so when I got out to Lynchburg, there wasn't any snow left on the ground, but the mountains were there and they were just snow covered. And it was, you know, so here we are, we got spring today, but they were snow covered. I even stopped my car and got out and took a picture of uh, of the things, you know, it shows you what kind of geek I am. I wanted a picture of these snow covered mountains. Actually, I was just doing that because I wanted to show my wife what she was missing because she loves the snow. And, uh, but we had a, we had a great time. It's just, I think all of you have experienced those kind of different, uh, different settings or different times where you just see things and they just kind of take your breath away. They just like, whoa. This is awesome. This is just fantastic. So now all I need to do, you know, I've done the mountains, I've done the countryside, I just need the ocean now. So, you know, that would be a real good day too, wouldn't it? But uh, um, how many of y'all have ever been there? Uh, You know, we said that where you've had the opportunity to go and there's just something that maybe you get to witness, you see, and it's just so amazing. It's so fantastic. It just, you you, you just stand there mesmerized. You, You don't necessarily have words to describe it. You're just looking at it and then, boom. There it is. It's just like, whew. Yeah, I think we all have had those opportunities. And, you know, and uh, the first thing you want to do, usually after that is you're, you're, you're knocking somebody, and say, hey, check this out, check this out, look at this, or getting on Facebook, you're taking pictures and putting it there, or whatever it takes, but you want to communicate, you want to share this this, this special thing that you've got to see, and uh, it's really important. You know, I've had, we've had a couple opportunities to do that. I think of um, one of those things that uh, I saw that I think really... What was amazing to me was Niagara Falls when I got there. I knew it was a waterfall. <laughs> when you get there, boy, just, it's just fantastic. When you get there, you ride that boat up, up to the thing, and, um, and you're just looking up at this, this wall of water coming over. It, 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 it's, it'll take your breath away. It will absolutely uh, change your life when you see the magnitude of it. But I think the thing that probably stands out the most for me is, uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, Tina had the opportunity to, to take her kids to um, the Grand Canyon. And uh, we, boy, we got so excited about going, traveling 2,000 miles and something that was on our bucket list. We always wanted to go there. And as we began to plan out the trip, we're on the internet, we're looking at things. So you see all the pictures, you see everything that's there. Boy, it's, it's just going to be fantastic. And, uh, you know, how many of y'all been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody out there? Oh, quite a few of you. Amazing. So you know what I'm talking about. Well, we get there, uh, finally, after traveling and driving 80 miles, we were staying in Flagstaff. We drive 80 miles up into the park. And we we park and the kids jump out and of course we just you know the anticipation is right there we we've come this far to see it kids jump out and of course they're teasing their mom they're ready to run up to the edge and they're going to go and hurry up and she's saying y'all no 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 stop stop you know because she's got to uh, she's worried because you know they don't have rails <laughs> they're just a drop and um, but we get up there and uh, we're looking and I'm telling you we just stand there just whew. you you just. Can't take in the sight. There's just too much of it there. You know, it's uh, if you've not been there, you can't really explain it. But it's just one of those things where where it was just it was just fantastic. And so, you know, we stand there, and then after a couple minutes of sitting there looking, we start telling each other, "Hey, hey, check this out. Look over here. Hey, check check." Check out over there. Look at that formation. Look at the way that is. Look how far it look how deep it is. You know, hey, you see the river down there too. You you know, and you start noticing these different things, and you want to share it with one another. You want to say, hey, look, check it out. And then, you know, we're done. And we go home. No, actually, no. We we start walking down the path and we go to another lookout. And now we see it from a little bit different different viewpoint. And we see some new things, some things we didn't notice just right down the path over there. And 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 you just never get tired of it. then you walk down the path a little further and you stop at another one and you look and over and over again for, for two or three hours you're just walking down this path and you see so many different views, so many different things. Then what do we do? Well, we got in the car and we drove down the east side, uh, down, I mean, drove east, uh, down the south side of the canyon. We stopped over and over again, just taking in more viewpoints. And we got to the place where we we're thinking, you know, if we got right out there, we can hike down this trail. When we get out there, we can really see some cool stuff. And we would walk down the trails and we'd get out on some of the formations on the rocks and stuff. And wow, what a great experience. I tell you, that's kind of what we're doing here with, with a series on the mosaic of Jesus. As we're taking a look and we're seeing all these different viewpoints or these different ideas of, of what it's like to see Jesus from, from a different vantage point. And it helps us because the more we watch or the more we look, we see, we see new things. And, and the more we know of Christ, I think the more it helps us. And, and you know, there are just times when we, you see things or you look at them a different way or things happen, uh, it just it changes the way you, way you go about it. Uh, If you open up your Bibles to John chapter 1, we want to take a look at uh, uh, John the Baptist. And to kind of set the backdrop or the uh, the background, should we say, to to what was happening here, it was just, uh, it could have been the day before, it might have been just, you know, very recently. I'm telling you, we were within hours, or I mean when I say hours, 24, 48 hours of of the baptism of Jesus happening. You can look back and you can see that recorded in Matthew chapter 3. But uh, in that, if you remember, uh, there's a couple things to take notice and so understand. John the Baptist knew Jesus. Uh, We know that for several reasons. One, they're related. You know, they're they're cousins. they, 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 They have some family history together. They know each other. And there's another example of even the day of the baptism. We get it because John was called to prepare the way. Now, he didn't know exactly who he was preparing the way for. He didn't know what or who or how it was going to take place. But he knew he was called to prepare the way for someone who was greater than him. And so he was out and he's preaching and he's uh, calling people to repentance. He's baptizing them. And about that time, Jesus comes walking down and uh, he stands there to, and, and Jesus wants to be baptized. And John's first response, if you remember, was, oh, no, 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 I need to be baptized by you. It wasn't that John knew that Jesus was the sent one or the Messiah at this point, but he knew Jesus's reputation. He knew that G- he, there was something special about this guy. He's calling everybody to repentance. But you know what? I can just imagine. He's sitting there wracking. Brain. I cannot think of one single thing Jesus has ever done. He's never talked bad about anybody. He's never, you know, he sees it, so he immediately says, no, I need to be, I need to be baptized, baptized by you. This act of repentance, I need to show it. And Jesus said, what? Permit it to be so for now. And so when Jesus was baptized, here's the life-changing moment, that aha moment, that thing that says, whoo! says so when Jesus was baptized and he comes up out of the water, it says that John saw the what? The Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And then he heard a voice from heaven, and it said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, wouldn't y'all love to hear a voice of God like that? I'm telling you what. It just just seems like, man, sometimes there's just some things we're going through. I just want to hear it. But, you know, in this case, God just he spoke out loud, and John heard that. And so here, now John is going to be re-energized. He's refocused. He, he, He not only knows that he is called to prepare the way, but now he knows for whom. He's seen it. He gets it. He, che- he, he says, okay, man, it's Jesus. This is, this is what it's all about. And so you can tell he's excited. And, you know, not unlike where we we're sitting talking about a situation at the Grand Canyon where we're saying, hey, check this out and look over here look at this. Now John's at a place where he wants to tell everybody. He doesn't just want to call them into repentance. He doesn't just want to say, hey, you, you need God. No, he wants to say, look. I got some more news. I, got, I, got, I got, uh, got some stuff. And that's where we find ourselves in John chapter 1. So if we look starting on verse th- 29, <laughs> excuse me, verse 29, this is what it says. It says, Now, the next day, that's not, that is not a reference to his baptism. It's just some other, earlier things in John chapter 1. But it says, The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away. The sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who is higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested or made known to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. And he remained on him. So what we see here is, this obviously is a situation that happened after the baptism. Because he, he, he did not know, when it, when it says he did not recognize him, it's not saying he did not know him. It's saying he did not recognize him for who he was. He did not recognize him as the Messiah. But he did know him. And that's what makes this passage so unique in that in verse 30 right there, notice what it says. It says, this is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I. For he, what? Existed. Before me. Now, the, the uniqueness of this is remember, he, he's aware who Jesus is, and one thing he is very acutely aware of is what? That Jesus is not as old as he is. He's older. He was born first, and he knows it. And so his statement then becomes hey, he existed before me. It, it, it is an announcement of the eternalness of who Jesus was it's saying hey I know that he was born after me but he existed before I did you know John the disciple not John the Baptist but John the disciple in writing the gospel account says some of the same things let's look at that while we're in chapter one real quick because it just affirms exactly what we're saying look at verse one of chapter one and look what it says it says in the beginning was the word and the word was what with God and the word Was God and he was in the beginning with God and all things came into being by him and apart from him Nothing came into being that has ever been made or that has come into being in him was life And the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it So in the beginning was the word it was with God and was God now look at verse 14 It says and the word That was in the beginning became flesh and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Of course, last week, Randy, in, in introducing the series about Jesus being the Son of God, talked about the fact that he was part of that, that, that creative, uh, the, the, being the creator, being part of the creative process of, of creating the world. And so there we see that. Now, verse 15. Boy, it sounds real familiar. It says, and John, that's not John the disciple, but he's talking about John the Baptist here. says, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has what? A higher rank than I, and he existed for me. It's the exact same verse that we find in 30. So we see that uh, the writer here is, is, is affirming exactly what John the Baptist had said later. And then verse 16, look at this. It says, for of his fullness we all have received and grace upon grace. Now, let's just unpack this just a little bit. Let's look at this word or look at this. So I think this helps us understand exactly what is being said or being uh, so we can understand what John is saying when he says, behold, the lamb of God, because that's really the picture we're trying to see here. But in order to grasp the, the completeness of that term, the lamb of God, we really got to know who is he talking about? Who is John saying is the lamb of God? And right there he says, for of his fullness, we have received. Now, what does that word fullness mean? That, that in the Greek, it's that, the Greek term pleroma, okay? And what it literally means is this. It is the sum, uh, excuse me, is the sum total of all that is in God. It's everything. It's everything about God. Man, it's not just everything we know about God. It is the sum total of everything that is in God. So he says, wow, for us, for of his fullness, for of his godhood, for of his deity, we all have received. We have received this part of him. We are able to, to receive him. We're able to acknowledge him. We're able to, to understand that, man, this is God. Well, Let's take it just a little step further. If you keep your finger there, if you want to, you can flip it over to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. If not, just make a note of it and you can read it later. But Colossians 2, 9 says this. It's the same word. It's the same term. It says this. For in him all the fullness, the pleroma, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So Paul's writing in this case about Christ. And he's saying, look, guys, everything there is about God. It was embodied by Christ himself. In other words, he is... 100% totally God at the same time, fully man. Boy, what a mystery. But isn't that, isn't that awesome that we have got an opportunity to see Jesus as God, as creator? And here he was. He, he, we, we see him and recognize him for who he is. He is God. Now, oops. that brings us to the, to the ideal of now knowing that um, Jesus is fully God. What is the term or what is the relationship between that and John the Baptist saying, Hey, behold, the Lamb of God. What does that really mean? There's been a lot of discussion over the years. Uh, you can read different books about it, as far as theological books and things like that, about what the Lamb of God really means. Uh, there are multiple things. I think people just like to write different books and different opinions sometimes, and they, they have to look at that. One of them that I found kind of interesting, I, I don't quite buy into, but I did find interesting, is one guy was writing and says, you know. Uh, Just a couple hundred years before this time uh, uh, of of Christ, Alexander the Great had come in and just basically taken over all of the the Middle East there. And uh, when he did that, of course, he left the influence. That's why everybody spoke Koine Greek and all that kind of stuff. It's because Alexander the Great had done that. And the image that he used was that of of a ram, uh, you know, a a full-grown male lamb. And so this person was trying to say, you know, when John said, behold the Lamb of God, people recognized that, hey, the Lamb was this conquering king that had come through just a couple, of year, a couple hundred years before that. And that's kind of a, a, a nice thought, but the one thing I learned in school when you're trying to interpret Scripture and trying to look at it, it's always best to try to look, and if there is an obvious meaning, that's where you want to go first. And for me, that obvious meaning is simply this. This a sacrifice. Behold, the Lamb of God is the sacrificial lamb. And you might ask, well, would people really be just thinking about that? When, when that kind of statement's thrown out there, are they immediately going to be drawn to a sacrificial lamb? I mean, I know that they, they take a lamb every year and they present it to the priest and, and, and that is given as a sacrifice for the sinfulness. And, you know, but is that really what's going to be first in their mind? But the answer is yes, because did you know that every morning and every evening, in the time of Christ, there was a lamb that was sacrificed on the altar? Every day. Do you know two additional lambs were sacrificed on the Sabbath? Do you know that any time they had ceremonies of purification or, or, uh, or, or sin, forgiveness of sins or for cleanliness, that they would sacrifice a lamb? On all the feasts, you hear the Feast of Tabernacles and, and, and the Feast of Trumpets and all these others, they, they required them to have a sacrificial lamb as a part of the celebration of the feast. On the, on the Day of Atonement, they sacrificed the lamb. On Every day on the days of the Passover as it led up to it, they sacrificed an additional lamb. You see, this was not just something that happened once a year for them. This is something that they were very intimately acquainted with. They knew and lived and breathed the idea of a sacrificial lamb. It was necessary because that sacrificial lamb was to what? Was to to be their forgiveness of sin. You know what the problem though is? The problem is, when you count up all the thousands, even millions, and you know, millions of lambs that were sacrificed over all these, all these years, not one sacrifice could actually atone or forgive a single sin. It was all a foreshadowing. It was all a picture of what was to take place. It was all a picture of, of what was to come. Warren Wiersbe uh, wrote, and a couple things I want to share from from what he wrote. One of them was this. He said, uh, you know, when you look at the Old Testament, you go back into Genesis chapter 22, and and you think of the story of Abraham and Isaac, and and they're there, and uh, Abraham is of old age. He finally has his one son who the promise is supposed to come through, and and you have Isaac there, and, and what does he say? He says, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, and I want you to build an altar, and I want you to sacrifice him. Man, what faith they should have, could have taken. Would, would God really ask him to sacrifice his own son? And so as they were going, they were building the altar. What was the question? The question that was there came from Isaiah. He says, hey, Dad, where is the lamb? Where's the lamb? You know, we get a different picture here in the Gospels. You have John the Baptist. And he's not saying, where's the lamb? He's saying what? Behold. Check it out. Look, look. Here's the lamb. A little side note, guess what? In Revelation, we even sang it just a few minutes ago. Worthy is the lamb. So, you know, where's the lamb? Ha, behold the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Kind of another ideal picture we were sharing is that uh, in the Old Testament, all the way up to this time, you had sinful men bringing a lamb to sinful men to perform a sacrifice for the atonement of sin. But here, all of a sudden, now we get a different picture. We have God bringing a lamb to men for that sacrifice. And so you know, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just one thing to, to say, "Hey, bring a sacrifice for our sins, but it's nothing thing for God to provide that lamb." Of course, every one of the lambs had to be what, spotless, without blemish. <laughs> And here's Jesus, or the spotless lamb, without blemish, without those things. Let's talk just for a moment um, about, well, what does that mean? What does it mean now that we have this lamb, we have the sacrificial lamb that John has introduced us to, and, and, and how do we, I guess, translate that or make it practical in our own life? Well, the first thing to help us understand is, once again, is, if you remember, the old sacrificial system was insufficient. It could not atone for sins, but this one could. Jesus' atonement was complete. It would make us perfect. Remember, we looked at 2 Corinthians, I mean, excuse me, uh, Colossians Chapter 2, verse 9. I'm going to flip back over there one more time. And I want you to to finish reading that. It says, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And then verse 10 says this. It says, and in him, that is Christ. In Christ, you have been made complete. Or perfect. It's the same word we translate perfect in many uh, many other instances. And so, wow. His sacrifice has made me perfect. He said, wait a minute, Ronnie. I know you. I know you. I know you're not perfect. That's my wife. She'll tell you. Uh, (laughs) She's down there. I know you're not perfect. But guess what? You're right. And you're dead wrong. What do I mean? What do I mean by that? Okay. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says what? It says, seeing that we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, what? Let us lay aside that sin that so easily ensnares us. Man, the writer of Hebrews acknowledges freely that boy, we struggle. Paul even, even acknowledged this in Romans chapter 7 where he says, man, I love God and I want to do these things, but I continue to do the things I hate. I don't want to do them, but I, I do it. But I really want to do this, but boy, I really end up doing the things I hate. So yes, there's a struggle here. But the key point, guys, and listen to this, and this is it, is that no matter what I do, no matter what I've done, it doesn't change my standing with God. Let me say that again. My standing with God is 100% totally based on what He did, what Jesus did. There is nothing that I have ever done. There's nothing that I have ever thought. There's no sin that I've ever committed. There's nothing that has been too bad that has placed me too far off that can separate me from his love that can keep me from understanding or, or knowing what forgiveness is. And guess what? The same is true about the future. There's nothing that I will ever do. Because, guess what? Not only are my sins past forgiven but that verse says, remember John says, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. So not only are my sins past forgiven, but guess what? Everything I've ever done everything I will do is forgiven. So my standing with God is unchanged. So does this mean, wow, Ronnie, if that's the case, maybe I should just go out and live the way I want to. Maybe I can party. I can, I can enjoy all the pleasures of the world because it really doesn't matter because my standing with God won't change. Well, actually the scripture addresses that too in Romans chapter 6. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid, for how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? So no, we cannot continue just to live any way we want to. What we have to do is understand what's happening and what's taking place. As a believer, that means I have come to the place where I understand that Jesus gave his life on the cross. He was fully God. He came into this world for the purpose of dying. He was born to die. He was that sacrificial lamb. And it is through his finished work, his death, his burial, and the resurrection that I can now be brought into a right relationship with God. And I can understand or I can experience forgiveness of my sins. And I can have that relation, that, that broken relationship with God is now mended and I can have that relationship with Him. And when I encounter a holy God, it changes, it transforms my life, it transforms my heart. And now when I was in bondage to sin, where I could not live for Him, I am now set free, not to live the way I want to, not to live in sin, I am now set free to what? Be able to live for Christ i can make that choice to live for him i can get victory over those things because why because of what he has done to me because why just as it says he has made me complete he has made me perfect my standing with god is 100 percent based on what he did not what i've done let me give you another illustration uh, to kind of help make it a little bit more practical. Several weeks ago, I can remember I was sitting right over here. Um, I came in, and I, quite frankly, had not had a real good week. I, I think, you know, I, I just had some things I was struggling with, and, and God was dealing with me in them, and, you know, it's just kind of going back and forth, and I knew I wasn't really making the right choices. And uh, and I, so I came in, and wow, I was there, and the music started playing, and one of the songs kind of, I kind of got into one of the songs that really caught my attention. It was really, bringing me to a place of 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 worship and and i wanted to lift up my hands i wanted to praise the lord and and boy the thought which was a lie of satan really by the way but the thought came in he says you can't do that you're not worthy of lifting your hands up to god you're fake that's disingenuous who do you think you are to come in here and think the things you think or do the things you've done or whatever it is, and now you're going to sit there and you're going to raise your hands? Wow, what a hypocrite. Ever, ever felt that way? Okay, none of you want to admit it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You've been there. You have felt that. You have sensed it. It's, it's, it's there. And the problem with the whole thing is, by the way, I didn't raise my hands. I gave in. I, I was defeated. I didn't get to experience the freshness and the joy and the, and the strength and the, of, of the Lord because I gave in to being in bondage to my sin. I'm not saying I didn't later, but you, you get what I'm getting at. Okay, so there in that moment. And here's the thing, guys guess what? My standing with God was based on what Jesus did. I had every right to come in here and to lift my hands up and to humble myself before Him and to praise Him and be excited about what He's doing. Why? Because of what He did. It's not about what I've done. And so this is the picture that we need to see. This is what we need to understand when we look at John being the Lamb of God of god let's look back in john chapter one for a second <clears throat> kind of bring this to a, a little bit of conclusion here uh in john chapter one verse 16 it says "For of his fullness again we have received and grace upon grace i just find that the most interesting term what is grace upon grace what does that really mean do you know what grace is? Grace is really what? It's, it's an unmerited, an unearned favor is what a lot of people term it as, which is a, is a good definition. But what it actually, it, 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 the full meaning of it is the absolute freeness of the loving kindness of God towards men. Finding its only motive in the heart of God wanting to give it to us. You see, it's not in expectation. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it, but it's his loving kindness. It's his forgiveness. It's his grace. But here it says grace upon grace. It, you know, think of it this way, folks. It means that as a, as a believer, as a Christ follower, as I have come in and I've given my life over to him and now I can live my life for him, guess what? I believe that not unlike when I was at the Grand Canyon, going from one vantage point to another, going to one place to another and seeing new things and just being one wonder, leading from one wonder to another, I believe that's the same truth for us as believers. That as we're living out the Christ life, He leads us to one wonder to another. That every time we think that it can't get any better, guess what? That He will lead us to another wonder. Every time we think we don't deserve it, he leads us to another wonder. Every time that we think that, that there's nothing else that I can do, I'm just too far gone, I, I'm defeated, He does what? He shows us His grace. Because He's what? The Lamb of God. There are fresh experiences of beauty waiting for each one of us who follow Christ. And that fresh experience of beauty may, may, may come in many different ways. Uh, It may be answered prayer. We all love to hear answered prayer. But sometimes it's, it's the experience of forgiveness. It's the experience of knowing that, boy, really? God has restored me even as undone as I am. Even as many mistakes as I've made. Even as vile and as bad and as awful as I've been to people. Man, there are fresh and wonderful and beautiful experiences that come from what? From knowing Christ. From knowing Him. So what does this mean? Where does that leave us? When we see the, 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 the very creator of the world Him working in us and forgiving us, And what does that mean? Well, John said it. Let's look back at verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. He said, he said, And the next day, he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Check it out. The Lamb of God. Take notice. It's the Lamb. It's the one who can forgive you of your sins, who can make it right. Who can bring you into an intimate relationship with God. Behold, the Lamb of God. That's what it really means. He takes away the sins of the world. Over the years, I've done lots of counseling. Been in ministry, what, 27 years? I've done lots of counseling. I wish I could tell you how many times somebody's been in my office and said, God can't forgive me of this. And they're just crushed. And they really believe that there's nothing that's redeemable. They've just gone too far. Can I tell you something today? Today? There's nothing you've ever thought, there's nothing you've ever done, there's nothing you've ever said. there's no act that you've ever committed that God cannot forgive you for. In fact, He wants to. He wants to He wants to so bad that Romans 5:8 says that he demonstrated His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3:16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hey, my friends, listen to me. There is nothing. You're not too far. How about for us as believers? Maybe we're in bondage. Maybe we're struggling. You know what? God wants to set you free. He wants to set you free from whatever's keeping you from serving him. He wants you to have victory in your life. I believe that with all my heart. And that's how. Behold, the Lamb of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to You today, God, just recognizing that um, we're in desperate need of You. Lord, we, we, we recognize that You, Jesus, are Lord. You are God. You are Creator. <laughs> but Lord, we also see that You are the Lamb. You are that sacrifice. Your purpose for coming was to die so that you could redeem us to yourself. Lord, I I pray that that truth will sink in and will grow roots into our life and will change the way we live. Lord, I pray for those that are uh, here today that that have just been putting off, been, been thinking about Uh, about giving their life to you and just put it off because they didn't feel worthy. They didn't feel like they they could do it. They didn't feel like they were ready, that they needed to somehow correct things first. God, I pray that they will see your mercy and your grace and that your arms are open wide, waiting, waiting to embrace them. Lord, I thank you for your love. God, speak to us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.